Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, the routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai, great new inventory. Fabulous pre-owned inventory. And again, a great, uh, great service department on top of it. It is all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Again, the Tiger Woods story is as follows. One vehicle accident this morning. 712 Pacific Time, 1012 our time. Uh, he is in surgery, uh, multiple leg injuries, and to this point, that is all we know. Anything else, we will pass along to you when we get it. Corey Geiger in a few moments. First of all, our play by play call of the day. Oh, hockey players can be magicians with the puck. Darlene again over. Olafson got it away, batted out of the air and in. Reinhardt out of midair off the post, and it's tied at two. An opportunity, and then take a look at the goal. One save, and what a play that is by Reinhardt. Are you kidding me? Amazing. Uh, hockey players, magicians with the puck. Just like. Basketball players are magicians with the ball. Football players can be magicians out there. Um, I mean, sometimes you can extend that. I remember the, the suit telling us he was a magician at croquet. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I just stood there in stunned silence. <laughs> Even Dave Ritchie doesn't like to react to such things. Even he just sat back and just kind of glanced over at me. And Dave kind of whispered to me, I've been begging him to get help. We've, uh... <laughs> and I'm a magician with the, uh, with the driver on the golf course. You can putt. In team yes. golf, that's what matters, baby. Okay? Great. All right. Uh... Let's bring you Corey Geiger now. Corey, welcome. Always great to have you with us. Welcome back. Steve, hopefully you're doing well. I, I love all those uh, all those historical tidbits T. Frank was just reading. It's just great to think about Dean. I was thinking the other day, Dean Smith or Roy Williams, who's had a who's had a better tenure. I mean, it's it's cool to think about sports from a history standpoint like that. It is, and I think part of it is what Roy Williams has done was set up by Dean Smith. Right. Yeah, sure. so, so I think the found the starting point. You have to look at what the starting point is for somebody. If the starting point's at a higher level, I go back to the foundational guy. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it, because Dean's won. Dean or Roy's actually won more national titles there. I think he's won three. He's won three. And Dean won two. Dean won two. Yeah, but you're but you're right. I mean, what what would Carolina basketball be without Dean Smith? Right. You know what's fascinating, Stephen? I know you love hoops. 
there was a situation about three, four weeks ago where none of the top 13 winningest programs yeah. were ranked. Yeah. That's an incredible. You know, Carolina, Duke, Syracuse, U, uh, Cincinnati, all these teams, uh, Temple, none of them ranked in the top 25 for a week. I, that, it just goes to show how crazy the season's been. Well, that's why I made a point, I think it was uh, the middle of last week, I said, uh, I said, let's give you these three. There are four teams in the, in the Champions Classic to start. Kansas was one. I said, Duke is in 10th place in the ACC. Michigan State's in 10th place in the Big Ten. Kentucky's in 10th place in the SEC. Something's not quite right. <laughs> so. And you know, you, you, know what, who, you know who has sympathy for that? Nobody. No, nobody. <laughs> <laughs> there are, everybody else is saying, hey, welcome to the real world, yeah, guys. W- welcome to the real world. But you know what? I think it's going to show in the ratings. In the in the uh, NCAA tournament, I do. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good uh, because point. I think the casual fan is attracted by a name, uh, you know, to start. Hey, you know, there and there are people like, for example, I love Duke. All right, and there's also people. I hope they lose. I can't wait to watch them lose. <laughs> I hate to, you know. So you have that. Isn't uh, it fascinating, Steve? Just, just like we saw with Penn State, you know, not having fans for football games, it has a major impact. It's had an incredible impact on all of these big college basketball programs. I mean, you, you, you got to think all these programs are used to playing in front of 15,000, 20,000 fans. I think it's been a, a direct corollary to not having people in the stands. I think it's had I think it's had a, a double impact. Number one, it has had an impact in not having people in seats because your home court advantage, it's not what it, it does to the opposing team at times. It's also how much it lifts you. But the other part, too, is I think not having fans has affected TV ratings because that crowd comes through the screen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I've watched a lot of games, and you're right. You know, there are a lot of good basketball games. There's a lot of good competition around the country. But it, it, it has been different this year. There's no question. It's just, you can just feel it on TV that the atmosphere there is just – and then they do the wide shot, and it's like nobody there. It's, it's depressing. Yeah. It'll change. It'll change. I think we have to have some confidence here. Like, it'll change. All right? Can't wait for it to change, but let's have confidence it will happen. Uh, All right. So, Penn State basketball. Corey, I was asked the other day, straight out, what's the deal with the offense? And I said, I don't know. I mean, the only thing a coach can do is is design something to get you open shots. They're getting open shots. It's not hitting shots. How do you look at it? Yeah. They're, you got good shooters, you know. Myron Jones, Myron, these guys are good shooters. But when you're a jump shooting team, and Steve, you know this as well as anybody. When you're a jump shooting team and you live and you die by it, yep. Um, you just you just got to make the shots. And so I, I I give Jim Perry a lot of credit. Jim Perry's a good offensive mind. He's been he was their offensive coordinator with Pat. He's drawn up some damn good plays, Steve. I mean, what what was with the Ohio State game? Myron Jones misses a twelve foot floater. Yeah, that I think at that point would have tied. I mean, you just got to make those shots. And so, um, but I will say this, uh, Steve, and I know Ohio State lost to Michigan, but that was a great game too. In terms of watching Ohio State versus Penn State, Steve, I was blown away with how gorgeous Ohio State's offense was. It was yeah. absolutely beautiful. It was, to me, a mixture of Wisconsin and Princeton. The way they moved with the ball, the way they moved without the ball. Yes. Um, guys cutting through the lane, guys making backdoor cuts. And so, look, Penn State doesn't do that, okay? Jim Ferry's a good coach, and they've got a good system. 
Um, but I almost feel like there, there's a plan A for Penn State, and that's if you make the shot, you're going to win. If you miss the shot, you're going to lose. I think teams like Ohio State, Gonzaga, they have a plan B. They have a plan C. If, if Gonzaga's fast-break offense doesn't work, they're also really good in the half court. Right. If Ohio State's fat off, half-court offense doesn't work, they'll speed you up and they'll try to get the test. So you, you have to have some different avenues and different pathways to win other than just saying the shots aren't false. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example where, where I think Penn State struggled. Right? I think the transition defense is good. Corey, here's the part that's baffling. The first yeah. drill they run in practice every day is the Celtic drill. That's transition mm-hmm. offense. Mm-hmm. Penn State's transition offense in games is not right. I mean, you watch it. How many, how many transition baskets do they miss where you're saying, okay, they got the steal, live ball, turnover, you're aching for that, and they don't finish it because the spacing's not right or something like that. that and you know, That's something I've already done the pregame show with Jim. It's something we talk about in the pregame tonight. Yeah, it's a good point, Steve. The points off turnovers here. And, hey, <laughs> Brockington is a phenomenal finisher. Yeah. And nobody would deny that. Sessoms, I think, is a good finisher. I'd, I'm not sure they have great finishers on the team. Miles Dredd would just would prefer to shoot jumpers. He's yeah. not going to necessarily right. be the finisher. That's right. Myron, Myron, I don't think, is necessarily a great finisher at the, at the bucket. So, again, we're talking about in generalities and – you know, individual plays and who's, but but outside of Isaiah and Sam, do do they have the kind of finishers that you would think would would really generate a lot of offense at the rim, even on in transition? You want to watch beautiful offense. Take some time to watch Michigan. Yes, indeed. Mi- yep. Mich- Michigan runs. You know, it's because of Juwan's experience. You know, all you know, fifteen years in the NBA, then coaching in the NBA as an assistant. You know, they've got options off their spacing. And that's something that's, that's a little bit different, I think, than you see a lot of college programs have. They've got multiple options off their spacing options, and I think that makes a big difference. But they also have three guys that I think are NBA guys yeah. on that team, well, too. Yeah. And, I mean, because I, mean, I, think, I, I think Hutchinson is. I think Wagner potentially is. I think Livers is. See, like, you look at Iowa. I was on a talk show in, in Omaha this morning, and they were asking me about Garza. And I said, to be honest with you, the, the one NBA guy in that team that I think is an NBA guy is Wieskamp. It's not Garza. Yeah, Luca will play in the NBA. He'll be a rotation guy, I think. But I don't think he'll be a bit – I mean, because he's so good fundamentally. But he doesn't have the, the, he's the not speed, quick I think. He's not quick You're correct. Uh, I'll tell you what, Steve, that's a great point. I, I love talking college hoops. I love talking college hoops with anybody, Steve. And I, I really yearn for it because not a lot of people around here love talking college hoops. <laughs> I watched Ohio State, Michigan. I was a kid in a candy store. That was so beautiful. Yep. They're both shooting above 55%. They're, they're both running great sets down there. I watch a lot of Gonzaga. And, again, uh, Gonzaga will get up and down the court. They're the closest thing I've ever seen to Loyola Marymount in my life. They get the ball and they go. And that's how they beat you. That's how they score 90 points. Except, they're, Gonzaga, except, except Gonzaga's a better defensive team than Loyola that's Marymount right. was. Oh, yeah. yeah, no question. Yeah, And, and Gonzaga's also good in the half court. That's why Gonzaga yeah, can win right. it all. But watching that Ohio State-Michigan and seeing – Steve, let me just flat out say, I think offense in college basketball is terrible. I think offense just in general in college basketball yeah. is hard to watch. Guys can't shoot the ball. We're talking Penn State. And, and I know we can talk about, you know, why can't Penn State guys make shots. That's just true of college basketball. I, I just think oh. that we're in this era now where guys 
I watch a lot of NBA, and you get spoiled because everybody can shoot the ball in the That's NBA. Right. That's right. But you watch a, you watch the college game. The mid range jumper has disappeared. Guys are not you know team wise are not great shooting threes a lot. Yeah. And so that because you shoot so many threes, you're not necessarily great around the rim. So uh, watching Gonzaga yeah. really gives me hope because that's a team that they can do a lot of different things. Watching Ohio State, Michigan, it is just fun, you know, these traditional Wisconsin teams to see teams that can, they can beat you in a lot of different ways. Well, okay, let, let's uh, I'll, I'll expand upon that for a moment. Iowa's a team that came into the Penn State game averaging 87 a game. Right? Yeah. And again, the vast majority of the games, obviously, are Big Ten games. Right? But you know, the focus is Penn State didn't score for for four minutes, the under 12 to the under 8. Neither did Iowa. (laughs) Iowa didn't score either during the course of that time. And that's the part that I'm with you. uh, And I wouldn't put Wisconsin in the category. Wisconsin just slows the game down so so much. I mean, they slow. Look, and that's how Greg thinks they can win, just like that's how Tony Bennett thinks he can win. All right? But when – and it's a style. I understand that. But when it grinds the game down – I, and it turns it into a slog. That's not fan friendly. No, hey Steve, you were there for thirty six, thirty three. That's that's an abo- that's, <laughs> that's an abomination. <laughs> I mean, and look, watching Virginia for a lot of years, my eyes were bleeding. Yeah. It was it was terrible. But you know why? You know why Virginia won the national title? Yeah, the he offense. Figured, that's he, he started, figured out you got to score. That's yeah. right. I mean, it's you the same. It. College football and college basketball are both in the same spot right now. The teams that are really successful are the ones that are putting up lots of points. Alabama, this is what, uh, under Nick, there's his sixth national championship at Alabama. Yeah. Uh, yep. He's got seven overall. All right. This is the worst defensive team of the six. And we could talk about that's why Mike Yersich is at Penn State right yeah. now. Uh, but I, but that's a different subject, right? But but but, is, but that is a good point that you're making because yeah, I agree with that point. That look, you've got to be able to put up points. When I was on some, I was on some show and they asked me to talk about the SEC championship game. Why I don't know, but it was a question that came up when I was and I was asked. And I said, look, I said Florida's going to have to score 50 points to win. Yep. And they laughed. Well, they scored 45 and didn't. <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, that's where the game is right now. And the same no thing question. with college basketball. College basketball is the point that the successful teams are going to be. Yeah, is there certain sets where your defense has to come up big for you? Yes, but you're going to have to get seventy-five to eighty-five points to win games now. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you. And you know, with regards to again, like Virginia, Tony Bennett figured it out. You're not going to win a national championship scoring 62 points. Green. So he got Kyle, he got Kyle Guy, he got DeAndre Hunter, Kia Clark. I mean, these, these guys were good. Uh, Ty Jerome, these guys were good offensive players. So that's what you have to have. And I, I think with, with where college basketball is right, I was elated when they sh- dropped the shot clock to, from 35 to 30. Me too. Because you just need you need more shots. Me too. Um, you know, but things they don't do in college basketball drive me nuts. They never, ever, nobody ever goes for a two-for-one. You get the ball with 48 seconds. On the broadcast, Dick and I talk about that all the time. Yeah. All the time we talk about two-for-one. All the time. You get it with 48 seconds, and instead of shooting within 12, they take it down to 27, which means you've lost possessions. And I I know Dick is really good on points per per possession. I know that's one of his favorite stats. Yes. Well, how do you how do you fix it? Well, you have more possessions. Yes. So, 
uh, yeah, I, I think that Steve, uh, with this Penn State team in particular, to get it back to this team, I think Jim has done a good job putting guys in a position. Yeah. But ultimately, they've got to make shots. And the fact that they don't have the big presence now, look, hey, I, I, I think John Hara is the national player of the year for heart and hustle. Yeah. If they gave an mm-hmm. award for that, he, he, he is that guy. Yeah. And I like when they run the offense through him, Steve. I mean, I, I think too. he is a – but he, you, outside of a couple games when he scored 17-16, you know he's not going to be option number one, and the defense knows that too. And so that, again, it all plays into a role of how defenses are going to game plan against Penn State. Right. When you come out of a timeout, you can run a play for Lamar Stevens if you're in a slump. If yeah. you, and when you come out of a timeout, you can run a post play for Jamel Cornley when you're in a slump, right? Just to, get, just to see the ball go through the hoop. They don't have that right now. Right, so I mean, and that's exactly that's the point. For example, Iowa gets in a slump, which they were on Sunday. What did they do? They ran a play through Garza. Right. I am fascinated by what you said. How, what 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 role do you think Garza has in the NBA, Steve? I don't. I think he's. I think it is a real. It's fifty fifty. He even gets drafted. He doesn't play. He yeah. doesn't. He doesn't play the game. I'll tell you the one area that will help him be a second round pick will be the fact that he actually can step out and can shoot yeah. the ball. Right. No question. He could be like, remember Spencer Hawes? Yeah, that Spencer guy? Hawes was like, like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see Luca. I mean, he would have to be a much, much better three-point shooter. But, but yeah, yeah you're right. It, it'll be – it'll be. See, that's why, that's, it's interesting. That's why I'm big on Wieskamp. Wieskamp can do a lot of things. Wieskamp can shoot the ball really well from the outside. Wieskamp can rebound. Wieskamp's a good passer. I think Wieskamp's going to get drafted. Yeah, I can see that. I, I hope Luca plays. He, I vote for the Wooden Award. He's going to get my vote. He actually got yeah. my vote last year over Obi Toppin. Because I think if you're averaging 25 in the Big Ten, Steve, that's unbelievable. I mean, this is a yeah. this is a once in a generation yeah. Big Ten player. Always a pleasure. Uh, site's going great, and it's uh, Nittany Sports now. And uh, hope people will get a chance to check it out. Corey, thank you so much. Thank you, man. I appreciate all this college basketball talk, Steve. I love it, buddy. Corey Geiger, new Kulong next half hour. No change in the story on Tiger Woods. He is still in surgery as we speak. He is not said to be life-threatening, but he has multiple leg injuries. And uh, there is a report that he was, they thought, they thought he was conscious at the scene, according to one uh, member of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Uh, he was traveling on a... Um, on a road, I think it was Hawthorne Drive, I believe, in Rancho's Palos Verdes. And he crossed over the median strip at a high rate of speed and then kept going and then rolled down a ravine. They needed the jaws of life to get him out of the vehicle, in part, you know, in part because, I mean, it was a violent crash. I mean, if you've seen a picture of the vehicle, but also you notice the driver's side is down on it as well and he suffered multiple leg injuries he was taken to a nearby hospital where he's in surgery right now and he is at the uh, Harbor UCLA Medical Center and they're saying it's moderate to critical injuries suffered in the crash and it's believed that he was conscious at the time he was taken out of the vehicle but it is, they're saying that it was a high rate of speed, 
lost control of the vehicle, crossed the center divider, went down the hill, and rolled multiple times before coming to rest at the bottom of the hill. All right, that's what we know. We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way? The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. All right, more on uh, Tiger Woods next half hour. Whenever we get new information, I mean, every time we have an open area, we'll update. But there isn't much to update because he's not out of surgery yet. Uh, It's multiple leg injuries, but not out of surgery yet. Neil Kulong, next half hour. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Taking your calls at 800 795 9565. This is The Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Whenever you go to a dealership, you're attracted by great product lines. They have it Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. You know, maybe the budget says, hey, pre-owned inventory. Well, you want it to be backed up, and it's the Sunbury Motors guarantee, which has tremendous meaning to it and a great selection of pre-owned inventory. Fabulous sales staff that works with you. Your budget means everything. It means everything to you, and it means everything to them. And a fabulous service department to back it all up. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. There is nothing new to report in the Tiger Woods accident, which happened this morning at 712 Pacific Time in Rancho Palos Verdes, California, just uh, south, uh, south of Los Angeles. So it happened about 1012 our time. He was going along Hawthorne Road at they can tell at a high rate of speed. They don't know if he hit something. Uh, that's something they're investigating right now. And then when across the median, across the other lane, where obviously he's fortunate because it's two lanes the other way, so there's nothing that uh, he didn't hit anything that direction, and then went off the roadway, and he rolled several times. Now, 
It's off the road. It's down a bit, but it's, quote, not a deep ravine. Okay? There is a neighborhood actually in back of where um, of where the accident happened. They got there and said, look, um, we're going to have to get, you know, obviously rescue personnel. They had to extract woods from the windshield of the SUV. Okay, that's what happened to happen. They take them out of the windshield of the SUV. Another car which stopped and pulled over to the side to assist Tiger shortly after the accident. Okay, so another car stopped, right, to help out. And while he's down there trying to check if he could help out, that vehicle got hit by another car coming over the hill. That was a minor accident, no injuries there. Uh, And he is currently in surgery at Harbor UCLA Medical Center, which is, by the way, it's not the closest medical center to where the accident took place. I think the closest one's in Torrance. But this is the one that takes care of more serious injuries, and he's said to have serious leg injuries. Not life-threatening, but said to be serious to critical leg injuries, which they are. Uh, he's in surgery for right now. And since he's in surgery, there is no other information to uh, pass along. Uh, they had said originally they needed the jaws of life to get him out. Not true. They were able to pop the windshield off, and they were able to pull him out through the windshield. So that's how they did it. Um, so multiple leg injuries um, and also some other injuries that are not said to be life-threatening. So that's where he is. And because he's in surgery, while you're getting more details about the accident, uh, you don't have many more details about him because he's not out of surgery yet. With that, we bring in the Prince of Football, Neil Kulong. Neil, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Yeah, it's great to be here as always. I uh, I appreciate the distraction from from the rest of the domestic responsibilities that I have today. So it's good. What uh, what all has happened in the world over there? Uh, to be honest with you, you're the guest we we're supposed to ask all of you. <laughs> but in a world of role reversal, what do you need to know? <laughs> when, when am I going to be done painting? That that's really the main thing I want to know. I'm trying to. I was trying to bang this out before Christmas, and here we are. So um, I'm finishing it today, though. That's a promise. This is where, for example, you hire somebody. All right, so <laughs> I tell you they're done by the end of the day. All right, and you just uh, you know pull out a little bit of paper. Bing, bing, bing. Thank you very much. Okay, family comes home. Look what daddy did. <laughs> you sound a lot like somebody in my life right now. You might even be hearing this. I'm not sure. I'll think the same way. All right. Um, so uh, we talked about the Ben situation last week. Uh, and now you can see, I even saw a mock draft that showed the Steelers moving up to 13 and taking Mac Jones. Okay. Now, mock drafts can do. I can do a mock draft right now. I can have all sorts of people going all over the place. I mean, <laughs> I own a dartboard. It's in a, in a closet somewhere, but I own one. Uh, so uh, how do you view what they should do with this thing? Um, it, honestly, it's not a good sign when you get into this with the Steelers. You're not sure if they're high up enough to think that they're going to be able to take a, a difference-making kind of player for this upcoming season and which of probably 
three positions of the most um, the most value that they're going to get probably this season and next season. Uh, which one of those do you want? I mean, that that's really what this is going to come down to. Um, for me, the answer is they need more picks. So um, they're they're going to draft somebody in the first round. I'm sure. I don't think there's a whole lot for them to to. Uh, uh, explore the market for a trade up or down. I, I think they're going to take the pick where they are. And for me, I, I I remember you and I talking about this last year. I, I still think they should have taken an offensive tackle last year for the same reasons they're in now. Um, they almost have to. And without addressing that position and with no security for them right now uh, beyond this season, it, it's by far their thinnest position. And it's a very important one. They need three of them, and they might have two right now. Right. So they absolutely need one, probably a starter, and there's nobody signed beyond this season. So um, this might be a two-tackle draft for them. I'm not sure. But if it's me, um, there tends to be – it's kind of odd because the, the quarterback position, your edge rusher, and your offensive tackle, those are probably the, the trifecta of value in the NFL in terms of positions. Maybe cornerback, you might throw that in over tackle. But that's another position they don't have anybody signed at next year either. But let's just deal with this for right now. Um, they're going to have to find somebody who can come in and play. They haven't addressed that right away. You have to think that they had something of a plan. Uh, the pandemic shut their cap situation down. Maybe that was the plan. They, they expected to have more cap room. They'd be able to uh, sign a free agent in the market. Uh, they're not – they're able to do that. It's going to take a lot for them to do that. I'm not ruling that out where we sit right now, but even with that, I think 24 overall is going to have to be a tackle. Um, usually that position is going to fall to 24 in the draft and, and find reasonable value there. It might be the fourth or fifth one off the board, but unlike other positions, I think you can get a, a reasonable starting offensive tackle later in the first or even the middle of a draft if you're willing to, to develop for a year or two. I think that's what they're pretty much going to have to do. Um, it's not a usual position. I, you know, a long time ago we were talking about the, the disasters of the Steelers' offensive line. Guys like Jonathan Scott, and they brought Flozell Adams off the recliner for a season. They, they don't have to do that as much in, in recent years, but it, it's, it doesn't look good either. I mean, you're you're pretty much you know writing in blood Zach Banner starting at either left or right tackle yeah. and Zach Banner tore his ACL in September yeah. he's your starter and he started zero games for you he hasn't even played a snap in the regular season and that that this is a position that they're in so um, I, I I don't know I, it, it's going to have to be tackled but they need a lot of things so you know whip out the dartboard that's in your closet and and pick one and throw it there and, and roll the ball out and let's play. I actually gave it to one of my kids. All right. So, <laughs> all right. so let's talk philosophy for a moment. Because you're a deep man, obviously. I kind of look at you as Rodan. <laughs> uh, but the the Steelers have stayed relevant in the upper quarter of the league for 20 years. Fair? Right? The Patriots have obviously been in that upper quarter for 20 years. Is there a real change in philosophy where, hey, look, short period of time, let's be as terrific as we can, and then we'll go through the rebuilding process in a short period of time and get back? Do the Steelers need to start thinking that instead of trying to maintain that upper quarter where they're there but not quite over the top? I'll I'll say this. If you're going to do that, it's not really a, a personnel issue in football. You can't really have a fire sale of your players 
and stockpile picks or developmental projects that you can stash away in a minor league the way that you can in other sports. Yeah, but we can't, um, again, we can't trade with the Rams anymore. They're out of picks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We don't have that benefit anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. The, the, the suckers are gone. If, look, we'll give them a call in 2025. If, if, you're not sh- if you're not sure who the mark in the room is, it might be you. You have to have some semblance of talent on the field. I mean, it's it really – you're never not far in the NFL. I know it seems like that when you have the Browns being terrible for 20-some-odd for years – uh, before they finally get back and win a playoff game. But you're never far from being able to compete. When I say that, I mean two years. Um, if you do things well over a two-year period, you're probably a playoff team. That's the way the NFL is built. You can't really get out of contracts all that easily either. So you can destroy yourself for two years with a, a, a sequence of the wrong contracts, which I, I think we're probably going to see sooner rather than later with a few teams in the league. Um more of staying competitive, I think, is a philosophical thing, um, a, a strategic thing. What the Steelers have been doing over the last couple of years, I think, is, is kind of a transition in and of itself. They, they've had different position coaches come in. Uh, they had a different offensive coordinator who's now no longer there. They changed out a lot of position coaches over the last two years. They're going to walk into training camp, assuming they have one, with – I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but almost their entire coaching staff is either in their first or second year now, um, yeah. below the coordinator position. There, there's Tomlin right. but, and, and Butler, of course, but beyond that, all their position coaches are are new, fairly new, and they're they're younger. Um, we don't know who the quarterback is going to be. We don't know who the running back is going to be, as we established before. They don't have any tackles. We're not sure of the interior offensive line either. We know that they have wide receivers. That's really about it. So, I, I to me, that kind of suggests they are looking to do something different uh, schematically. You know, they're, they're going to attack um, an opposing defense in a different manner than they have been. And some of that has to do with the fact that their quarterback is not the quarterback that they've known from the past. Or it's not him at all. It, it could be somebody completely different, um, something that they haven't seen on on you know week one since well I guess 2009 they did that, but that didn't really count. Uh, 2006, excuse me, that that was you know he had an appendectomy two days before the the game. But uh, they've had Ben Roethlisberger entrenched as the week one starter since 2005. Yes. So with that, you haven't you you've been building your team around the strengths that he has. Now they, they've tweaked things. Uh, over the years schematically we've seen that a bunch you know 2013 um they brought in Le'Veon Bell really to to run an inside outside zone game which is not something they did before that took a little bit to adjust but they did that very well over the Mm -hmm. middle part of the last decade um I don't know what they're going to do running the ball but they're probably not going to be good at it so there's going to be changes that they're going to need to make there they're going to have to just switch up a lot of things on the offensive side uh to the point where they're never going to admit the 21 season's a throwaway, but I don't know how much they're really going to compete uh, this season either. Um, I, offensively, I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do. Uh, they're they're going to change up a lot of things, so uh, maybe that's good, maybe it's not. But it, to me, in the NFL, it, you tend to need a little bit of time to kind of work everything together. So with that, I um, I think they're building to a, a, you know more of a long-term future. But for them, the process of changing the tire while the car is moving has been relatively you know smooth um over the last 20 or so years obviously there there you know some, some bumps in the road here and there but not 
uh, to drastic levels. They're not the Cleveland Browns or the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, they don't stay down for very long, and when they have been down, they're eight and eight. So, um, or eleven and five, as it was <laughs> the way that we're talking about this year. Right. They're uh, it, they're going to be able to compete to a degree this year, but I think a lot hinges on their future on what they're going to do schematically now moving forward what do they want to focus on what what's their new you know go-to pitch going to be on, on offense how are they going to be good offensively that's really i think what this season's going to uh, determine for them and it, just considering how wide open their roster is next year um they, they could completely overhaul everything from from uh, now until this time next year just based on the fact they only have like 15 guys signed beyond right. the season mm-hmm. so um one draft isn't going to fix that. They're going to need multiple no. drafts and multiple free agency classes right. to really pack it all together. Uh, they're going to have to kind of answer a lot of those kinds of questions. I think it's a good one to ask, and, and I don't know. I mean, I, I would imagine they have a plan, but it's nothing they're going to talk about publicly. Um, it'll be interesting, though. This, this is a, a critical transition year for the sake of their future. How do you view Juju Smith-Schuster? I think Juju Smith-Schuster is a good receiver. I don't think he's a great one. Um, mm-hmm. he's, I think, he's a good NFL player. That's fine. There's yeah, no wrong with being yeah, I, I, I like the fact that we'll refer to him as an NFL player because really he's by far the smartest receiver they have. Um, he's a combat catch guy, as Tomlin would say. Maybe not the, the outside the numbers burning deep threat kind of guy that, that uh, we made him out to be after a, a strong rookie and, and uh, second season in the league. Uh, but he, he's really kind of molded into what I kind of thought he was going to be. He's a physical guy. I, I think I mm-hmm. refer to him as Heinz Ward 2.0 when they drafted him. Right. He's a big guy. He's physical. Uh, mm-hmm. He make, makes catches over the middle. And really the difference with him is he can make guys miss in the open field. We've seen him do that uh, here and there. I don't know if he keeps that ability uh, the older he gets, but he's solid. And really um, the tricky thing is, it's a down market for him. It's a really bad year for him to be a free agent. Um, I'm not sure what he's going to do, but he had to like that Amari Cooper contract coming out last year, the the Michael Thomas contract. That boosted his value quite a bit. I think he could have pushed 80, 85000000 million on a a five-year deal um, without the situation that they're in. Now it might be the best thing for him just to kind of take uh, that receiver's path of, you know, kind of a mercenary route, take a a, a series of one-year $14, $15 million deals, he might do that for a season. Um, if there is a team that wants to pay him a bunch, I, I guess I'd probably be more on the side of surprise right now. But I, I think he's good. He, he's, despite fans' opinion, he's a good locker room guy. He was liked by his teammates. Uh, he works hard on the field. He's willing to, to celebrate with his teammates. He's willing to, uh, you know, put others ahead of himself. You can see that in the way he plays. I, I would like him to stay in Pittsburgh, to be honest. It's just they're not going to be able to pay him. Um, and they just they, they draft receivers too well for them to think that he's yeah. going to be worth the long-term investment. That, to me, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Always a pleasure. You are the Prince of Football. <laughs> I, I like that. Thank you very much. You guys have a good day. Neil Kulon. All right. Very quickly, the uh, just a quick update. Tiger Woods is still in surgery. Uh, nothing more to report than that. Multiple leg injuries. He had other injuries as well, but the leg injuries were the biggest concern. And he is at the Harbor UCLA Medical Center after a one-vehicle crash uh, this morning in Southern California. We'll come back with more in a moment. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. 
We've offered a few minuscule tidbits to the Tiger Woods story as we've gone along, uh, but that's because that's all that's out. We can tell you that what they're going to do is this. The L.A. County Sheriff's Department is going to have a press conference at 6 p.m. Eastern Time uh, to update everything that they have on the situation. And so that will be about an hour from now. And we'll get more details, at least on the accident. Now, he's still in surgery. He's been in surgery for a while now. But he has multiple leg injuries. And that's why it is uh, taking a long time to get information on what his condition happens to be because of the length of the surgery. And as soon as uh, they get more information, we'll pass along to you. And again, the press conference with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department will end up being at 6 o'clock Eastern time. So that's the latest that we have. It was a one-vehicle accident. He um, was traveling at a high rate of speed. I believe it was on Hawthorne Road. For whatever reason, he crossed it. It's in the Hawthorne Road. That road is two lanes each side. It's two lanes each side. So he crossed over the center median, crossed over the other two lanes, went down. There, there was a, uh, there's some trees in the area that went down, not really into a ravine, but down off the road. They finally have been able to lift the vehicle out of there. So the vehicle is almost uh, out, but it it wasn't a a simple case of them just getting something in there and pulling it out. They had to go. They had to get a specific vehicle to lift it out of there. Great to have you with us on the show today. Any updates will be passed along as we get them. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com on News Radio 1070 WKOK.